Welcome, everyone. It is so great to celebrate Jesus with you here again uh, today. And again, I want to just uh, say a big welcome to each and every one of you here that is here today that is joining with us. We know that in the last uh, few weeks, we've had many people that are coming back to church and rejoining uh, their family community in person, and we just want to say welcome to you, and we're glad that you're here. And for those that are uh, online today, again, we are just so blessed that you have chosen to join with us. My name is Pastor Todd, along with my wife, Jan. We are the lead pastors here at Eastside City Church, and we're just glad that you're with us today. And I want to just say this, as we begin the Easter season, really today is a very important day. It's a very important part of our celebration on the Easter calendar. I want to remind you that the same power that raised Jesus from the dead resides inside of you. That God has given us his Holy Spirit, that he's given us his life. In fact, as I was praying uh, for this week's service, the Lord put a few words in my heart, a few words to even declare over uh, this gathering, over you. First of all, God says today, I speak hope. The word hope, that in, in spite of maybe what is happening in your world, what is happening in your life, and I know this, I, it's been very interesting as, as we've seen a shift in, in, in time. There's a lot of things that people are dealing with. There's a lot of things that are, people are being hit with all sorts of crazy things. And I just want you to know God's hope is here. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Secondly, I declare the word health, that God wants to give you his health. The Bible says that by his stripes, we were healed. And I declare the healing power of Jesus to be released in this place. So if you are, uh, are not well in your body, we're going to believe that God's going to make you well. Amen? And thirdly, the, word, the other word, and they all start with H, you probably figured that out, is harvest. That this is a season of harvest. That there are people that are seeking God, and God is going to touch him. And so I want to encourage you with that today, that God is for us. He's not against us. And, and as I say the word harvest, I also want to remind you that we are going to be doing um, um, some special things, but normal things. But for a lot of our family, a lot of the people that are around us, they're more open to coming to church in this season. So invite them to join with you. Um, we're having a good Friday service at noon this coming Friday. That is a, it's a wonderful opportunity just to reflect on what Jesus went through in his final hours before he went to the cross, what happened in his life. And then on Sunday, we get to celebrate the fact that Jesus is alive. Can I hear an amen for that? But today I want to start by sharing a message with you entitled, Will You Worship Him? And it's a part of our Palm Sunday. Today is Palm Sunday. Will You Worship Him? And I want to start off by sharing with you a story about when I was 17 years old, I had the privilege of hiking in and out of the Grand Canyon over the course of a whole day. Now I want you to know this journey was not for the faint of heart because we traversed over 20 miles, 33 kilometers of drastic elevation changes. And because we went in the month of June, it was just, a, it was, you know, kind of a fairly warm day. The temperatures actually reached an excess of 50 degrees Celsius. It's probably the hottest 
temperatures I've ever experienced in my life. And this was at the bottom of the Grand Canyon. And I remember it was so hot, I've never felt this before. It felt like my whole head was about to explode. The pressure was was so intense. Now, I want to say this, though. The challenge, though, was not without reward. There were some incredible things that I was able to experience on this journey. First of all, as we climbed out of the Grand Canyon, we would reach different plateaus. And, that, and that's what makes the Grand Canyon the Grand Canyon. And, and unless you've been there, it's almost hard to describe. As you move up 50, even 100 feet, the, the vegetation changes, the topography changes, the colors change. And it, you just see these gorgeous vegetation and all sorts of different things that are around there, including some creatures. Now, this might freak some of you out. As we were about halfway in our climb out of the canyon, right across the path in front of our group, an eight-foot California king snake went by. I mean, this thing was black and yellow. It was beautiful. Now, some of you are like, I would not notice the beauty. You said the word snake, Pastor Todd. That, that, would have been, that would have been the end of your journey. Some of you would have done that last five miles in like five minutes. So you would have been out of there in a hurry. Um, but I, I thought it was awesome. I thought it was really cool. Uh, in fact, I remember even um, there were so many cacti and so many cactuses that uh, we went around and we had our water bottles. And, you know, you hear about how sharp the, the quills are. I had a plastic water bottle that the, the, the plastic was about five millimeters to, uh, or not millimeter, it was about a centimeter thick, 10 millimeters. And I, I caught home, and I think I still have it in my basement. There's a cacti quill that punctured all the way through it into my water bottle. So it was beautiful, it was dangerous, and, and as I was going out, I couldn't help but think about the awe and wonder of who God was. This thing that he'd created The beauty of it was just awe-inspiring. But as the journey reached the 15-mile mark, there was something that happened where we passed by some hikers, and and, and I'd never seen this before, who had a guide team of of pack burros uh, with them, some donkeys that were not only hauling out camping equipment, because as I discovered later on, you could actually go on a camping trip inside of the the Grand Canyon. And so you could pay for a tour guide. It could be like a two-day trip, a three-day trip, a week-long trip. And so these people were, 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 uh, the the donkeys were carrying out all of their camping equipment as well as there was a, 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 a weary traveler that was on one of the donkeys. And I thought to myself, because I was kind of getting tired at that moment, that I wanted to ride one of those donkeys. That I thought that would be a great experience. Well, I, I believe we need to understand that donkeys are not considered the, the nicest or most uh, incredible creatures on the planet, but they have been used for centuries for carrying great weights as well as for travel. If you have a lot of time to go and you can take your time to go there, it's a wonderful time. Why am I talking about the burrow? Why am I talking about the donkey? Well, today I want, as we are celebrating Palm Sunday, which for many people is the beginning of the Easter story, the most sacred and significant event on the Christian calendar. We understand that this week starts at the time where Jesus comes into the city of Jerusalem. 
And it's a story, the Easter story is not only about his death, burial, and resurrection, but we see that his ministry now is moving from the, the outside towns and the communities where he prayed for people, he taught people, he did miracles with people, and now he enters the holy city of Jerusalem to prepare for the Passover celebration. And I'm going to get back to the donkey here in a minute. So you have to understand, well, what was the Passover celebration? Well, it was probably, for the Jewish people, the most significant event on their calendar because it's where they celebrated how God had delivered them centuries before from the nation of Egypt. And the miracle, the last thing that he did when he was judging the Egyptian people was the Passover, where the angel of death passed over the homes of those Jewish followers who put the blood of the sacrificed lamb on the doorpost, preserving their firstborn. You see, the Egyptians wouldn't do what God said, and so every firstborn member of their family, every firstborn of their flock, all of it died. But as Jesus arrives in Jerusalem, the buzz of his miraculous exploits create a fever pitch of not only expectation, will he do more miracles? Could he be the Messiah? The people began to wonder, is this the one who the Bible has talked about is going to save us? We've heard about it. And so all of a sudden, we see this incredible celebration that's going on. And so if you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 21, we're going to look at verses 1 to 11 today. I want to read this to you. And it says, as Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said, and as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks what you are doing, just say the Lord needs them and he will immediately let you take them. That's a very interesting part of the story. Jesus just says, hey, Go grab those donkeys for me. That was kind of a strange moment. It says, then that, this took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was in the center of the procession, and the people were all around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Praise God in highest heaven. The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this? they asked. And the crowds replied, it's Jesus, the prophet from, the Na from Nazareth in Galilee. In Matthew 21, we have the story of Jesus' triumphal entry into the capital city of Jerusalem. However, before he arrives in the city, he sends two of his disciples ahead of him to the village of Bethphage to receive a donkey that had never been ridden before. So what is the significance of the donkey? Well, I want to talk about this for a few minutes here today. I've I, I got to be honest, I'm not particularly uh, a fan of donkeys. Um, they can be stubborn and difficult. Would you say that that's 
pretty normal if anybody that's been around him. I mean, some of the negative words that we use that I can't say here today are refer to donkeys when people are stubborn. Um, what I learned, though, that it would be foolish as I began to study this animal, it would be foolish to label them as dumb creatures. Um, actually, they're remarkably smart. Um, being uh, smart, being able to spot the safest places for footing in difficult environments and terrain. They have a keen smell to be able to detect predators and, and other dangers. In fact, as I was studying this, it was amazing. I, I read that there are now farmers that, you know, you've heard about guard dogs. Well, they have guard donkeys. And they put donkeys with their packs of animals because they notice before anybody else if there's a predator that's around. They can smell it. They notice it. Um, one of the things about them as well is once an, the owner, though, gains their trust, they can be extremely dependable. In fact, it has been recorded that they do their best work under the guidance of somebody that they trust. Because donkeys also have such strong survival instincts, it is almost impossible to get them to do something they perceive as dangerous. Very interesting. But why did Jesus ride a donkey into Jerusalem instead of a horse? I mean, we heard the scriptures that said, here comes your king. You see, this really was part of the coronation ceremony where the people began to recognize that Jesus just wasn't this incredible prophet, but there was something about him that was different, that he was actually the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, I would have chosen a horse if it was up to me. Horses are majestic and powerful creatures. They're beautiful. In my opinion, they're the type of creatures that are associated with royalty. And horses are really cool, unlike donkeys. That's my opinion. But some historians say, well, the reason that Jesus rode a donkey was because he was poor and he wanted to represent the common man. And, and there are some theologians that that would be their take on the interpretation of why this is what God chose to do. But if you dig a little bit deeper, and this tends to be my perspective, is that I, here's what I discovered, that kings and royalty in that time bred both donkeys and horses for their service. And they were, ridden, they were each ridden by kings to communicate different messages. You see, when a king approached a, a city riding a horse, it communicated conflict or war, that they were about to go to battle, that there was, there was an intention of the, from the approaching nation if they came to their city that was for conquest or to make an alliance. When kings returned from war victorious, they would ride their steeds back into the city to lead their soldiers and their people in celebration. But here's what is interesting. Whenever a king rode a donkey into a city, it was a declaration of peace. It was a signif it signified that they were in a time of peace, that they were coming in peace. And the significance of this contrast is important because for centuries, the Jews believed that, that their Messiah, that the Savior that they were going to get was coming to deliver them from their enemies and to establish um, um, peace and prosperity through the nation of Israel, that they were called to remove the, the yoke of the Romans off of their neck, that they would then become the conquering nation. That's what they believed was going to happen. And many rejected and denied the Messiah because they were looking for a leader that was 
Figuratively speaking, riding on a war horse, not on a donkey. Even though they could not deny his miracles and his incredible teachings, it was a bit strange for them to see this person come in what they considered maybe more of a lowly position. And so many of them missed it. You see, Jesus riding on the donkey communicated two very different things for us, two things too that are important. First of all, he was a king, the king of the universe. The kingdom that he was establishing, though, was not a kingdom through conquest, but it was a kingdom of peace. That Jesus came to bring peace to our lives, peace to our hearts. You see, the peace that Jesus declared was not for a nation, but for the hearts of people. You see, the king of the universe, Jesus, still greatest desire is to be the king of our hearts. To be the one who rules inside of us. Not to change all of our external surroundings. Have you ever noticed it, that sometimes as people we go through difficult things? And sometimes we pray that those difficult things would just be removed and they'd go away. And sometimes they seem to get a little bit more difficult. Because God maybe is working something out inside of us that he wants to do. You see, he is the king of peace. And we see that, to, that, that, that he chose a don- the reason why he chose a donkey that had never been ridden was that the colt, first of all, had been preserved for a king. Kings typically had things that were only meant for them, but it also represented the fact that the donkey had been unbroken. Uh, You see, an unbroken donkey is typically, uh, did not initially submit to a new rider, especially with the screaming crowd of people around them. Any people here that have broken a horse or you've been around that, you typically don't do it uh, with 100 people screaming and yelling around them. Why? Because they get really nervous. But we see that Jesus, because of who he was, because of his his authority, the unbroken beast submitted to his leadership and guided him through the worshiping crowd, the mob. The king was able to tame the beast, and he's still able to tame the beast that is inside of us, our heart. You see, this is confirmed what the, about what the prophet Zacharias had said 500 years before his birth. Rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. But here's the question that I believe God has for each and every one of us today. You see, Jesus wasn't here to be um, worshipped by the mobs. He's here to be worshipped by us, his people. And the question today is, will you worship him? You see, as Jesus entered the city, an infectious stream of worship began to unfold. People began to cut down palm branches and wave them. They, they took off some of their, their outer garments, their, their, their cloaks, and they began to lay them on the road so that as he passed by, they, they, they began to worship him, shouting that he was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Hosanna in the highest, they said. Hosanna in the highest. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to um, sporting events. I believe most of us have. We our, our hockey team is just doing great right now. Hallelujah. You know, maybe this is our year. They're not going to disappoint us. Um, but one of the things that I love about sporting events is when the, just the massive crowds that can be there. 
And, and as much as I like hockey, I got to share with you, I, I grew up in the States. My favorite um, sporting events to go to are, is college football. And the crowds there can be massive. In fact, um, a few years ago, I got to go to a game in Tennessee where their stadium, listen to this, holds 110,000 people. And it was packed. It was full. And one of the things that I love about it is, uh, if you've ever experienced this before, have you ever seen the wave that's done where the crowd stands up and they begin to cheer and one section goes up and then they sit down and it kind of goes around the crowd? I'm telling you, when those things start happening, it can make the uh, hair on the back of your neck stand up. There's an energy that's there. It can be euphoric. And here's what we see as Jesus passed by, the people exclaimed to him, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna in the highest. Do you know what the word Hosanna actually means? The word Hosanna means help us, save us, give us freedom. You see, they were believing. Come here, Jesus, we've heard about you. We've heard about your reputation. Maybe you might be the one who will do the things that we need you to do. Maybe you'll be the one to get the boot of the Roman Empire off of our neck. Maybe you're the one that we've been waiting for. Will you give this to us? But what we see happened, and we know this, is that it wasn't only a few days later and that same mob of people did what? They turned around and shouted for him to be crucified. People can be fickle. And their hearts can change very quickly. How does this happen? Why does it happen? I, I believe this, that they had an idea of an expectation of what they thought Jesus was going to do. That they were hoping that he was going to be their, the, 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 the deliverer from this oppressive empire. But, and, but they didn't want Jesus to change their life. They wanted the benefits of change without personal transformation. Jesus helped me. Jesus, bless me, but don't change me. You see, sometimes people, they, they, they don't say it exactly like that, but that's the way that they live their lives. God, I want you to help me, but I don't want to change the way that I live. I don't want to change the way that I, I go about doing my business. And many Christians look for God to help them, but not to change them. They become angry when God does not respond to them the way that they desire for him to do. They get in trouble. They find themselves in need. They experience a difficult situation because life has a way of doing that. We've noticed that. But in that moment when Jesus asked for surrender, when he asked for worship, when he wants our worship, you see, our worship is something that requires sacrifice and surrender. They go, no, that's not what I was looking for. I cannot do that. I will not do that. You see, Jesus does not want our applause. He desires our worship. Applause can be motivated by the crowd. Applause can be something that can be, we can get stirred up into frenzies. You see, if you read the, the scriptures, there are people that were like, that were probably cheering and getting excited. And they're like, well, what are we getting excited about? People get pulled into things. They don't even know why they're doing it. You see, Jesus isn't looking for applause He's looking for our worship. You see, applause comes from a feeling, but worship comes from the heart. 
And we know that, and we see this in life, that applause can quickly turn to jeers when things don't go uh, the way that we think they are. In fact, I, I, I say this, I, I think about even watching a hockey game. You look at the players, and if you're really into sports, you, you probably have experienced this. For those who really aren't into sports, you kind of think that people that are, are crazy because of what I'm about to share. A player makes a great play, and everyone thinks, wow, look at that guy, he's the greatest, we love him, look at that, he, this is so good, we're going to go to the Stanley Cup this year. And then a little bit later, he makes a costly mistake, maybe even a, a mistake that loses a game. And then the whole town is like, that, that guy's a bum. We got to get rid of him, we got to trade that guy. He's not very good, isn't he? And then the next game he does something good and we're like, look at him, isn't he amazing? Pick your sport. Some of you are like, that's oh, not hockey, soccer, mm -hmm. <laughs> football, whatever it is. We have our things, we, we, we see it. As people, we can be fickle and our hearts can be turned quickly from praise to complaining, whether it's towards another human or in our relationship with God. Isn't it amazing how we can both worship God and curse him in the same day? Things are going well. God, you are so good. You are so good. I got a raise today. Hallelujah. Then all of a sudden, something you disagree with happens or your washing machine breaks down, and God, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? And if we're not careful, then we're even like, God, I'm mad at you. You didn't, because you didn't do what I told you to do. Oh. We might have a misunderstanding of how this relationship works, but. You see, when you are ruled by your feelings, I want to say this, you will inevitably question your faith. You see, applause comes from feelings, and God wants her worship. So the question I say again today is, will you worship him? It is important for me to say this. We need to watch out that we are not motivated by the applause of people. You see, we can be those who seek to validate ourselves, that seek to feel good about ourselves by the way, whether people accept us, whether they laugh at our jokes, <laughs> whether they like our Facebook pages or our TikToks or our Instagram. See, we can look at all this and if we get 100 likes, we're like, man, things are so good, it's so awesome, but all of a sudden we, we don't get the response that we want. And we can wonder, well, am I really that valuable you see, in those moments when we are approved by people, it can be euphoric, it can be like a drug. But I believe this, we've got to be careful when people praise us. Because one moment you can be the greatest, but praise can turn to contempt incredibly quickly. I don't know if you've experienced in your, this in your life. I'm a pastor. I, I get to experience people all the time. Oh, that was such a great message that you preached or that advice you gave me was so great. And then all of a sudden you're like, I'm challenging you about this. You're a rotten scoundrel. <laughs> I guess so. One disappointing decision, you're out. 
And this is exactly what happened to Jesus. We know from the scriptures that the same people who proclaimed him as king demanded Jesus to be crucified only a few days later. In fact, he wasn't even treated as a king. He was reviled as a criminal. As he took on our sin, as he took on all of the weights of the world, as he took on the sin of humanity, an innocent person did this for you and I. And the question today is, will you worship him? See, Jesus is looking for those who will worship him, it says in John chapter 4, verse 24, to worship him in spirit and in truth. Those who will worship him in the midst of any situation and circumstance. He's looking for those who will put his trust, their trust in him, whether he's riding on a donkey or he returns on a white horse. He's looking for those who will love him with their whole heart. You see, one of the cries of my heart is not to seek the worship of man, but to receive the applause of heaven. That God would approve of the way that we live our lives, the things that we do. You see, the Bible says that that it is our choice to worship Jesus, whether we recognize him as the King of kings and the Lord of lords while we walk on the earth. However, in the life to come, the Bible says we will all recognize Jesus as king and we will bow our knee to that creator, to their creator. Philippians 2, verses 9 to 11 says, Therefore God elevated him to the highest, to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, I believe this, that Jesus is worthy of our praise, that Jesus is worthy of our adoration, that Jesus is worthy of our sacrifice and our love for him. And the question today for each and every one of us is, will you worship him? Will you worship the lamb who was slain, who was sacrificed for your life, liberty, and your freedom? Will you surrender to him? Today I want to pray. I feel that God put in my heart that maybe you're here today and your challenge is as you've been trapped by seeking the approval of people. You've looked for people to validate you. You've looked for people to acknowledge your worth. You've got caught up being a people pleaser. And here's the, the challenge you can either please God or you will please man because you'll have to compromise one or the other. And some of you today are sitting here and you feel even in your hearts just disappointment, disappointment because you know that you've compromised things that you shouldn't. It's hard to be a people pleaser and a worshiper at the same time. But God's calling you to him today. And maybe even some of you, because of these relationships, people that you thought wouldn't disappoint you, they disappointed you and it's created hurt in your life. And I want you to know that Jesus is here to reach out to you. He's here to help you. He's here to encourage you. He's here to strengthen you today. God offers us his forgiveness through Jesus. Maybe that's where you're at today. 
Maybe you're in this boat. You realize that you're not fully submitted to Jesus. You haven't, you, there are parts of your life that you haven't surrendered. Prayers have not been answered the way you wanted them to be, and you've been frustrated. You've been upset with God. You've been upset with people, and you don't understand it. And God's saying, will you worship me? Will you surrender to me? You see, we can't be part way. It's all of us, all the way. And, and, and for some of us, it, it is a, uh, it's a progress in that God reveals more of himself to us. As we surrender more of our lives, he kind of says, here you go, here's another step for us to take. And for some of you, God is asking you to take another step in your journey with him to say, God, I just want to surrender a little bit more. As you reveal to me, God, I'm doing the best I can. I want to give everything to you. But Lord, I need your help today. Or maybe you're here today. And you've never recognized Jesus as the king. Another way we say this is as our Lord and Savior, that he becomes the center of our life, that we are dependent upon him, that we realize that, that being in charge of our own life doesn't work really well. And he's asking, will you give your life to me? Will you surrender to me? You see, he's a kind ruler call it the benevolent dictator. <laughs> he knows what's best for you. In fact, his preference as we grow in our relationship with him is that we would understand him as our loving father. But in order to experience this, you must surrender to Jesus. Jesus.